Welcome to Wonder, a podcast equipping women to live a wonder-filled life with Chrissy Dunham and Lisa Clark. Chrissy is a women's minister who shares his story, his love, and his word by speaking, teaching, training, and mentoring women of all ages. And Lisa is the author of Raising Sinners and loves speaking to mom groups in Texas and beyond, encouraging them as they raise their children to love God with all their hearts. Don't you know that she's, she's some kind of wonderful? Hey y'all, we are so thankful that you were listening to us today. And before we get started with this podcast, I wanted to make you aware of an opportunity. Of course, this podcast is not free. Uh, so we would love to partner with you financially. Uh, we love your prayers. We love your comments. And we love that you support us so well through your kind words. But at the end of the day, it takes money. So we have set up a 501c3 called The Party Table, thepartytable.org. And you can go there and make a donation to The Wonder Podcast, and that will help keep us on the air. Lisa and I love coming to you every week, and we love our producer, and we love what the Lord is allowing us to do, but we need partners, partners like you. If you have a ministry or a business, we we would love to pump that for you and get some advertising out for you with your donation. That would make our hearts so happy. But if you're an individual and you just love what you hear, we would love to hear from you too. So again, we are a 501c3, thepartytable.org, because the party don't stop and we want you to be a partner with us. Welcome to another edition of the Wonder Podcast. My name is Christy Dunham. I'm here with my friend Lisa Clark, and we are continuing our series in the book of James. So this session, we are going to cover James 2. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and uh, listen along and read along. And of course, we can't cover everything in this session, so we encourage you to go back and read and study Contact us if you have any questions, and we'd love to answer those for you. And that's where we are. What do you think, Lisa? I'm loving it. Chrissy and I are really enjoying studying this book and hearing from the Lord and then sharing what we're learning with you guys. So let me give you from Holman's commentary, James 2, in a nutshell. Chapter 1 concluded with an appeal for us to practice pure religion. Chapter 2 presents two requirements of pure religion. First, show no partiality. Cater to the poor and spiritually hungry rather than the powerful. Live by the royal law and experience the law that gives freedom. Second, produce obedient deeds. For the truth, for true faith is obedient. Look to Abraham and Rahab, for example. So I think in chapter two, we're going to dive in a little bit more where we landed last chapter, last week in James 1, when we started talking about being doers of the word. And James is going to take us a little bit further into what that looks like in the last half of chapter 2. But let's go ahead and dive into the first few verses of chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convinced by the law, convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I mean, these these verses are so appropriate for today. And I love the fact that God does not show partiality. And yet we do, don't we? We do every single day. And I have to tell you, when I read this very first sentence, I still haven't gotten over it, especially with the things that are going on in today's world uh, and what we're watching. Uh, My brothers and sisters do not show favoritism as you hold on to your faith. So in other words, if you're a believer, there's no room in your life for favoritism. Period. End of story. James was very clear on this. And if you think about Jesus' life, he didn't hang out with the rich and famous. He didn't hang out with the people that could do something for him. He hung out with the little tax collector that no one liked. He went out of his way to get water from a well in the heat of the day to run into the Samaritan woman. Everywhere he went, it was not about him what he wanted, or the cool people to hang out with, or the good-looking people, or the rich. He hung out with the down and out, and that's where he spent most of his time. So this verse, do not show favoritism, uh, here in America, here in Dallas, Texas, here in my church, I know I have done it before, and I have asked the Lord forgiveness over and over for this, because it is very, very clear He does not tolerate this. And if you love Jesus, you will treat everyone equal. You will treat them equal. We are all the same at the foot of the cross. No one looks different. Here's the other thing. We've talked about this before. Every person is made in the image of God. So when you say or look down upon or don't pay attention to or don't speak or whatever the case is to someone that doesn't look like you, talk like you, live in your neighborhood, don't even live in the same city, whatever it is, you are telling God, well, I'm not interested in that person. I mean, that's cool that you made them and everything and they may look like your image, but yeah, I'm going to go over here and hang out with these people. So I know I've done it. And uh, I think everyone's done it and it's time to get our lives together. You know, yeah, in my really late is. 50s, do not show favoritism. It's true. And yeah, we've all done it. And, and we're lying if we say, I don't do that because we all have done that. And I was thinking to myself and just kind of thinking about this and pondering it. Why do we do this? You know, let's just get real. And I think it's because we're so 
selfish and self-consumed because that's right. I'm going to treat you better if I think you can do something for me. That's right. It's all about us. It's all about us. And so if I think you're powerful or you're rich or you're so beautiful or whatever it is, that however I'm going to want to treat you better than anyone else because of whatever you have to offer, it's all about me because I think you could do something for me. And so therein lies the sin and we've got to get to the root of that, you know, check our hearts on why are we looking for people to do favors and find um, validation in people that could do things for us. I mean, the best thing, the best things for me to do are, are doing things and loving the least because they cannot do anything for me and what I might see as something that's valuable. But what they're really doing is all for me because they're allowing me to serve them. And I'm able to see this is what the kingdom of God looks like because Jesus was the best example of what that looked like of just serving others and expecting nothing in return. In fact, he gave everything for us. We couldn't do one thing for Jesus. What does the scripture say? The son of man had not even a place to lay his own head. And so Jesus was all about service and all about looking and seeing people where they were. He was so in tune with people that he even felt the woman touch his robe and the power went through him. That's how in tune with our hearts and our lives he was. And so for us to be so selfish and self-centered to think, well, I'm going to treat you one way because you could actually do something for me. I'm going to be partial towards you because of what I can get out of you. It's so against the gospel. It's so against the scripture. It's so against who Jesus was that we have to get our hearts right on this. And I know that for some of us, we don't even realize we're doing this. But I think if if we're in tune with people the way Jesus was, we will know. And we do need to repent of that and ask forgiveness because that is not how God designed it. That's exactly right. We become a fiber of our community. And we, if we see someone else treating someone, you know, that has something to offer, we think we have to do the same. So it all comes down to your walk with the Lord and that you have your value in the Lord and not those people or other people that are encouraging you to do things that go against the word of God. In this scripture, he talks about the royal law. And even in your nutshell, it talked about the royal law. Well, what is that? The royal law goes back to when Jesus was standing before the Sabbath. Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they said, oh, teacher, you've given us all these commands. What's the greatest one trying to trip him up? Because of course, they're all valuable. They're all good. We need to live by all of them. And he said, love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love me. You can find this in Matthew 22 and any of the gospels. It's there, Matthew and Mark for sure. Um, Love me. And then as a result love your neighbor as yourself. So love me and serve others is the bottom line. That's really what our lives are built to do. Love me. Give me all you have. I want your mind. I want your soul. I want your actions. I want everything that you do to be, that's the royal law. And it says to, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So when you sum the whole Christian life up, it goes down to this royal law. Love me. I want you to love me. That's really all I care about. This is Jesus talking to us. 
And then once you love me, you're going to have a desire to treat my people without favoritism. You're going to have a desire to see people the way I see them. And you're going to feed them and you're going to clothe them and you're going to invite them in your home at your table and, and all the things that he talked about in chapter two, be doer, chapter one, be doers of the word, be busy about my kingdom and about my business. So again, that's why it's so important that we read his word and that we follow exactly what he says. And this, again, is just very black and white in these first verses. Don't show favoritism. Follow the royal law. Love me. Serve others. And then you are doing well. So that takes your Christian life and makes it very simple. It really isn't that complicated. Yes. It's really not. Yes, for sure. And and it's just an incredible recipe for doing God's will. And I think you've shared that with me. I think it was James McDonald who did that whole study on that. Wasn't that right, Chrissy? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you shared that with me. And that was a game changer for me. And I've Mm -hmm. shared it with so many people because we complicate God's will in our life. We get so wrapped around the axle on these little decisions we have to make. And God says, no, just love me and love others. Everything is going to work out. And it's so true. I remember a couple that I just love so much uh, came to our Bible fellowship class and they um, visited for a few weeks and just loved our class. And uh, I remember before they joined, she said, do you think we would fit in here? And this was an extremely humble couple, full of the spirit, just so service oriented and just, and, and I was like, yeah, we need you. You know, we need you. She was looking around and and seeing a lot of type A personalities and people that she would just love to be around, but she didn't know if they would fit in with everyone. And I, and I thought you, we need you because we need to be a church here. We need Mm -hmm. everyone. We need every different type of personality and uh, color mm-hmm. and in, people of influence and people not. I mean, we have district attorneys in there and state representatives, and mm-hmm. and we need people who love the Lord and are going next door. And we need everybody. And I think that's that's what the church needs to be. And I think as we show, as we step up in these days, it it has to start in the church. It has to start in the church. That's what the church was de- designed for. When you look at Acts and you see that the church was the ones meeting the needs of the people. And That's I think right. it's so important for us as a church and for, for followers of Jesus Christ to start stepping up and say, okay, what are the needs that are being presented in my path? And start mm-hmm. meeting those needs and going next door and, and doing the things to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We cannot depend on government to do this. Government it's not biblical for government to be the ones doing this. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about no partiality, who, because the world is partial. I mean, absolutely. The world, my social media tells me what to look like. My -hmm. social media tells me who to, who to like and listen to and be influenced by. So if the church isn't the one setting the standard for showing no partiality, we've got to be the ones that step up and say, no, we are going to love everyone and we are going to be the ones that are going to turn the tide of what this looks like. That's right. So, That's right. Anyway, um, okay, Absolutely. let's keep going. Let's keep going. Okay. All right. Where do you want to pick up at? Let's pick up at 14 and read through the rest of the chapter. 
Okay. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you faith by my works. You board is one. Good. Well, even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I think he's just re-emphasizing what he talked about in the sentences above. There's We have this faith that we've developed because we've gone through these trials. So now we look more like God. We look more like him. Well, in order to be more like him, this faith that we've developed, we have to share that. We have to believe. I love the story of Abraham and that he reminds us there. What a story, Lisa. If you go back to the Old Testament and really, really think about that, that Abraham believed God and was credit to him as righteousness because he had faith that the Lord was going to provide the the uh, sacrifice, right? right? He took off with his son and it was a journey and he had the wood, he had everything. And the son looked at him part of the journey and said, where is the, where's the ram? Where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. The Lord would... That is faith. Can you imagine walking with your child? I can't. Walking with your child and having so much faith to know that God is going to provide something for me. If not, I have so much faith in him. I'm going to do what he says. And God saw that and that faith with his action came together. And God, that God, that's one of the biggest stories in the Bible. And it says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And then he reminds us of Rahab, how she protected the messengers in her house. Rahab was not a woman that had a good reputation. She would probably be a woman that I may shy away from in today's times. But the Lord used her, used her in an amazing way. And that was her faith. She sent them out a different way, and that's how the Lord used her. So I love the way the this chapter ends. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. It's so easy to say we have faith. 
It's so easy to say, I'm going to, I'm going to pray for you and God's going to heal you. Remember in chapter one, I talked about that double-minded. Well, I don't know if he's really going to do it. I don't know if he's really going to provide the ram, but let's head up the mountain and see what happens. No, faith without works is dead. So you have to put the two together in order to see God at work. And I love that. And I've seen him do that in my own life. And I'm still amazed by what he does. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. And faith, faith without works is dead. It's, it's very true. It's biblical. I think Martin Luther was said to have criticized James for his emphasis on justification by works. He liked Paul's way of writing about it in Romans a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but he's not saying that, that works get you to heaven. He's saying yeah. that your faith will produce this. And he's saying that, you know, so Chrissy, you were around in the 70s. Correct me if I'm wrong. I was young. I kind of remember him. Yeah. So yeah. do you remember that? And it was kind of when Christian uh, pop music was coming to uh, Like Jesus fruition. Freak. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we we were, you know, pass it on. The new hymns right. were becoming kind of right. cool. And there was one called, And They'll Know We Are Christians By Our by Love. Our love. Yes, by, by Our Love. love. Yes, yes that one. We Are Christians By Our Love. And yes. so kind of that, isn't it? They're going yep. to know. To say, what does the scripture tell us that the demons even believe? So belief is not the end all because there has to be something more. Once we believe in and take on that identity of Jesus Christ, we will be changed. We will start to have the love, the ability to love people, the ability to not be partial. The ability to have this fruit grow in our lives as we're connected to the vine. And so there will be a change take place. I remember when I taught the new Christians class for many years and my parents would ask me, well, my four-year-old accepted Christ, but I haven't seen a big change in his life yet. Yeah. (laughs) And so I'd say, okay, well, we got to give him some time. We got to give him some time. And so but there will start to be, if there was a true salvation experience and a heart change and a desire to live for Christ, there will be a change in us. We will start to see it. And that's what he's saying here is because, you know, we've got to be able to, how are we going to turn this world up, upside down for Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. We've got to be different. We've got to stand for the things of the kingdom. This fruit's going to grow in our life. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about works when they're coupled with this faith, because that will be a result. You work hard in your garden and you plant, you want results. You just don't want to plant it and walk away and nothing happened. That's not, there's no justification there. There's no fulfillment there. We want to see growth. And then Mm -hmm. we look at that. We're like, wow, that's amazing. It's the same thing with our life as believers. We want to see a change. I want to see growth. I want, that's why I love to be able to mark things and set goals, you know, a couple of times a year, because I want to see that I'm growing and I'm changing and that Mm -hmm. I'm accomplishing things. Well, it's the same way with our Christian walk. We want to get on down the road in our faith, in our walk with Christ. Why? Because just like we talked about in James 1, those trials produce within us perseverance. We become complete. We look more like Jesus. 
And that's what this scripture is talking about as well. You mentioned Abraham and I mean, what a better, I love the part about Abraham where, where he, God tells him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, and, and Abraham wakes up the next morning and takes off. Does it? He I does mean, not think about it. He doesn't no. call his friend. No. And I've always wondered, what did his wife think? Like, right. where are y'all headed? Like, what's happening? There's no discussion there. Right. He just went and did it because he was so, he wanted to please God so badly. And he knew that that's really all that matters in our lives is to You're right. please the Lord. That's right. That's and he, he was so full of faith. And you said a while ago that he, you know, can you imagine he's walking with his son and his son's asking, well, guess who else he was walking with? God. That's right. That's and right. I think that is the key to this. Are we walking with God? Is he directing our steps? Is he directing our conversations? I mean, just put your hand out and grab hold every morning. That's Walk right. with the Lord and he will strengthen your faith. He will get you through. Well, that is a great chapter. I loved it. I love chapter two, and it's got so much stuff in it that we can apply to our lives. And uh, the whole thing about that the demons believe and they shudder. Right. They shudder. I love that. So go read chapter two. And if you have any questions, send them our way. And we look forward to uh, accomplishing chapter three with you next week. Don't you know that she's, she's some kind of wonderful? Some kind of wonderful, yes she is, she's, she's some kind of